Welcome to another edition of the Ultimate Weigh-In Show. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over UFC Vegas 46, headlined by Giga Chikadze and Calvin Cater. In the first event of 2022, uh, we've been without events for almost three weeks now, and now we are a mere 24 hours, 20 hours away from the first fight to kick off tomorrow. I am very excited for it. I'm sure everybody else who's watching the show right now is very excited about about it as well um had a couple of things dropped throughout the week uh in terms of content and and even in terms about fights and and cancellations and changes and all that type of shit i'm sure all of us content creators were facing uh and feeling all of that in terms of uh should we be studying for this fight should we be breaking down this fight should we release content about this fight but here we are finally 20 hours away we got 10 fights on the docket knock on wood nothing falls off overnight or in the morning uh but i got a pretty damn good guest with us uh to help us break down this card one last time for you guys i do quickly want to say uh nobody missed weight this morning so that's a, a great great news uh the last people to weigh in were the heavyweights uh making us wait as they always do but glad that they were uh, able to make the the weight especially our guy big man jay collier who came in at that 264 limit uh but glad that all the fights are on all right like i said got a great guest with us so without further ado let's bring him in here we got my guy john kelly dfs from ftn daily you guys know him with my guy jonah Schiffman over there doing their damn thing killing the dfs world and killing the mma world as well john what's going on my brother Hey, what's going on, man? Thanks for having me on. This is only my second appearance on your show, so thank you. I appreciate it. Always fun to uh, talk fights with you, and I'm excited to get into it. Absolutely, man. Uh, last time around you came, we we were doing the four-person panel thing, right? We didn't really get to engage much uh, as much one-on-one, -on -one, and I'm really trying to focus on that this year is just really trying to tap in with one specific guest so we can break down fights a little bit deep rather than having you know three other guys talking about the same thing, breaking down the fight the same exact way. At least we can have a little bit more back and forth here. So uh, very happy about that. Obviously, uh, recently returned from deployment as well, if I'm not mistaken. So we do want to thank you for your service as well. I know I'm a fellow Canadian or actually a Canadian over here, but I'm always happy to, to you know, show my support for everybody that uh, puts their life on the line in terms of just protecting our freedoms and all that type of stuff as well. So obviously appreciate you uh, for that. And talk about a feel good freaking story, right? This guy comes back from deployment and it's the jackpot on uh on some dfs plays over there so i'm glad that you're going to be sharing that uh that stuff with us here uh first question right off the bat what are you buying with that shit are you putting that shit away for for the kids you you, you buying a house what's going on um yeah so funny funny thing is i really haven't bought any anything yet my, my wife is like super she's basically the opposite of me like i'm the type of guy i'll gamble on anything like i i mean i don't i don't care about money i never have probably never will and she's like the complete opposite so she's got it on a on a tight wrap i, I did manage to uh buy a bitcoin uh it's for my daughter so when she i'm gonna i'm yeah i'm basically gonna hold it until she turns 18 and then it's nice. hers so that's that's the only thing so far oh, look at that good guy john kelly i love it i love it planning for the future as always um in terms of your dfs strategy after that when had occurred have you felt like any sort of pressure or like has anything changed for you in terms of your approach or you're just like this is what got me here i'm going to keep doing it this way yeah absolutely man like I've, I've been grinding dfs for a long time and those those that know me know that um so my my thought process is you you put in the work and you put yourself in good spots over time eventually it's just like anything like over time you're gonna see those returns so obviously you have to get 
pretty lucky along the way. But if you put yourself in enough good spots, at some point, I believe you you will get lucky. So uh, hopefully we can get lucky with this week and we'll give away some winners tonight. Exactly, exactly. And then obviously, just from a DFS perspective, we only got 10 fights tomorrow, right? In terms of your strategy and your preparation for that, how does it affect you in terms of constructing your lineups and all that? Yeah, so it, it's always different, you know, from slate to slate. Slates like these where it's smaller, like you mentioned, 10 fights. And this one's kind of unique because not only is it a short slate with only 10 fights, so you have to keep that in mind because you're always thinking, you know, you can't just pay, play the best plays. You know, you're going to be heavily duped with only 10 fights. But on top of that, we have two guys in TJ Brown and Brian Kelleher who are so cheap and because of the fallouts, now they're big favorites, but they're still, DraftKings is not going to adjust their price. So those two guys are going to be north of 50% owned. So almost everybody's starting their lineups with Kelleher, TJ Brown, and Giga Chikotse or Calvin Cater. So you have to factor that in because it's like, even if you start the same three, and pick three other winners, you might come in first, but you're tying with 300 other people. So it just really limits your upside. So I'm a big fan of just trying to dupe with as as less amount of people as possible. And there's multiple ways you can do that. One way is uh, leaving salary on the table. And I think that one's for sure important this week because there's really not a ton of expensive options. And I know we will talk more betting on this show, but just in terms of DraftKings, like I really don't think there's many expensive options that you want to pay up for this week. So I'm okay with leaving a lot of salary on the table. And then the last question, then we'll get right into the breakdowns. Do you prefer like the 10 fight cards or do you want like the 14, 15 fight cards from a DraftKings perspective that is? So I think like 12 or 13 is like the sweet spot. I think 15, you get a little nutty because just so many things happen to where it, it gets pretty hard to to come across the nuts but 12 or 13 i think is a good happy medium uh i'm not a big fan of the 10 or 11 even fight uh fight cards but historically i've actually been pretty good at them um so we'll see if that continues but again you're probably chopping when you do have a good lineup so it's just kind of frustrating but uh but we grind on we have this this card and then we have a banger hopefully it stays together next week for uh the big pay-per-view Exactly. I'm hoping that we get none of those faults because I believe right now we're sitting at 13 fights for UFC 270 next week. Let's hope we end with at least 11 or 12 of them, but we'll see how it goes down. All right. We're here to break down the fights that are going down tomorrow night. So let's get right into it. First fight of the night, we got TJ Brown going up against Charles Rosa. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 210 now for TJ Brown, plus 175 the return on Charles Rosa. TJ Brown actually opened up as a minus 290 favorite and has been steadily getting bet down uh, to that minus 210 range. A lot of people kind of, you know, initially thinking that TJ Brown is the spot, right? You got a guy in uh, a James Krause led guy in TJ Brown who shares that mat with Derek Minner, who was able to go out there and just absolutely ground Charles Rosa over and over again and really just grind him to uh, on the mat there. And, and that's pretty much the blueprint to beat a guy like Charles Rosa, right? Horrible takedown defense. If you can get him on his back, he trusts his jujitsu a little bit too much. He is kind of offensive off of his back, but he just trusts a little bit too much where if he doesn't get the submission, he'll continuously try to do that rather than try to get back to his feet. Sometimes he'll obviously get back to his feet, but if TJ Brown is smart, in my opinion, he wants to take this fight to the ground, he want, but he's got to mind his P's and Q's, right? Uh, he's not as good of a jujitsu player as a Derek Minner or a Damon Jackson who was successful in kind of doing the same thing to Rosa. But if this fight stays on the feet, man, I I get why the line is closing because Charles Rosa, he's pretty decent on the feet, right? 
something I always like to touch on when I talk about his striking game is from the southpaw stance, he has that Wonder Boy style. He likes to fight a little bit more karate-ish, has that long style where he likes to uh, focus on his kicks. When you see him in his orthodox stances, more so with the boxing approach, likes to let his hands go. TJ Brown throws with a lot of power, has some jiu-jitsu up his sleeve, has some wrestling up his sleeve as well. I believe he's the rightful favorite here, but man, I can't trust this guy at heavy chalk, man, especially when he has an easy game plan ahead of him. You got to wonder if he's actually going to stick to that game plan and go out there and do that. So uh, personally, I'm picking TJ Brown, TJ Brown by decision, but I want none of that on the money line on either side here. How are you feeling about this matchup? Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you, Locke. I like the TJ Brown side, but it is concerning when you see him, you know, north of minus 200 because of all those reasons you mentioned. Like the durability is still a major concern for me. The guy seems to get hurt in just about every one of his fights. Uh, but it's not just that. It's it's even the grappling. Like, yes, he's a solid grappler, but we've seen him still put himself in some bad spots. He has been submitted before the Jordan Griffin fight comes to mind, and that was a fight that he was clearly winning. Um, and, and then, uh, in terms of the, the striking, you mentioned, I do favor Charles Rosa. The only thing I'll push back on a little bit is just that. I don't know if Rosa has the power to where I'm necessarily concerned about Brown's durability in this spot. Like, I mean, it, it probably doesn't take much to hurt Brown at this point, but I, I just, I got to see it from Charles Rosa, at least on the feet, um, to, to make, to make it really a concern. I do think TJ Brown comes in and tries to wrestle here. Um, early and often. I think he has success there. I think Rosa is, is kind of drawing thin to like um, a submission off his back or something like that, which he's obviously live to do that. He's a black belt, but we've seen time and time again uh, against Derek Minner, um, who's same head coach. You mentioned James Krause. So I think it's going to be a similar, you know, take him down, control him, and just try to avoid submissions. And I think more than likely he does that. But at minus 200 or higher, I mean, with his track record and the durability concerns, fight IQ concerns, I'm not looking to play that. Um, it, really not even a prop or anything, to be honest. Yeah, he's been submitted three times in his eight professional MMA losses. Uh, and also, they're currently hanging Charles Rosa by submission around plus 700. I wouldn't mind a little bit of a sprinkle on that, considering that's probably his best path to victory, knowing that he'll be likely on his back for the majority of this fight. You you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, that was kind of surprising. I didn't look at any Charles Rosa props, but plus 700, I mean, that's not terrible. Exactly. I, I like to have that little bit of vote of confidence for my guests as well, too. So I'll likely be taking a little bit of a, a sprinkle there. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. Another short notice spot. Another James Krause guy, uh, Kevin Kroom, stepping in here to take on Brian Kelleher. Kelleher, obviously, is supposed to take on Saeed Yokob Kakromanov in a fight that he was an underdog in. Now he's sitting as a minus 290 favorite here over Kevin Kroom. Kevin Kroom coming back as a plus 230 underdog. Uh, I'll let you kick this one off, brother. How do you feel about this matchup? Yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not really a Kevin Kroon guy. Obviously, he shocked the world when he came in on short notice and got that submission in the first round against Roosevelt Roberts. But I mean, I, I think that was kind of a fluke, to be honest. And I just I don't see him doing that against Brian Kelleher here. Um, Kelleher, I think, is better pretty much everywhere. He's going to be a little bit smaller. Kroon has a significant height and reach advantage. But I'm just I'm, I'm just not convinced that that's really going to make a difference here. I think Kelleher probably finishes him but i think also kelleher probably needs to finish him well maybe not needs to finish him but at minus 310 or whatever he is biggest favorite on the card it is kind of like worrisome in the sense that kelleher has historically not been a great minute winner um you know he's been finished reliant for most of his career um and like i said i do think he probably does find the finish here but i'm just saying at, at minus 310 like i wouldn't be looking to to parlay Kelleher, even though I think he probably does find a finish here. 
yeah, I was waiting for the props to come out for this specific matchup as well. It looks like they finally dropped uh, plus 200 on Kelleher inside the distance. I don't mind a little bit of a shot on that. Again, you can get greedy with the knockout prop, which is at plus 500, but we know he loves that submission as well, and that's sitting around plus one, uh, plus 210, actually. Uh, interesting that some of the lines are the inside the distance is currently sitting at. Oh, sorry, sorry. I apologize. Inside the distance, plus 125. Uh, submission is around plus 200, and then KO is plus 500. I wouldn't get too greedy with it if you're looking to play that. I'd take the inside the distance. Again, like I said, his guillotine is there, especially if Kevin Kroom goes out there and tries to go for those desperation takedowns, similar to what he did against Alex Caceres. And even when he starts to slow down, gets very sloppy. I think it's going to leave himself to get KO'd here by, uh, by a guy like Kelleher. Uh, I've heard a couple breakdowns where people are saying if Alex Caceres was not able to put away Kevin Kroom, maybe Brian Kelleher won't be able to. But I think Kelleher has way more power in his strikes than what Alex Caceres brings to the table here. So, uh, yeah, I like some Kelleher in this spot. Not to mention, he was my lock of the night play last time around against Domingo Pilarte, uh, a, a card that I was lucky enough to be uh, in attendance for over there at the Apex. And if you guys remember that night, that was the night where we had crazy knockouts to start off the card. It was the Ignacio Bajamundes uh, spinning back kick against uh, Roosevelt Roberts, uh, a couple other great uh, knockout victories. And then Brian Gallagher brings a screeching halt to it by just taking down Domingo Polarte every single round and getting almost 13 minutes of control time in that fight. But I guarantee if you guys watch that fight back, I am probably the loudest guy in the crowd because I got, whatever, a thousand bucks on Keller that <laughs> night. <laughs> so yeah, you know it's going to be exhilarating when you have that much uh, money on a fight. You want it to be as boring as possible just so you can secure that victory. But yeah, I'm going to be on the Kelleher side here. I, I wish the inside the distance was a little bit nicer. Plus 125, not not uh, tickling my fancy enough to pull the trigger here. But I do think that's the way that he ends up winning this fight. So uh, me and John both on the Kelleher side here. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. Ex excited to hear your thoughts on this one. We got Ramiz Brahimai going up against Court McGee. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 120 for Brahimai and plus 100 the return on Court McGee. Now, uh, Court was actually the my, uh, small favorite last week and even earlier this week. Now the money seems to be coming in on the youngster Ramiz here. Um, interesting matchup, right? Court McGee, never been submitted in his career. Uh, that's kind of what Ramiz's bread and butter is, right? He likes to get the fight to the ground and try to get his opponent out of there quickly. I believe all of his wins are in the first round with the exception of one of them, which was in the second round. But more often than not, whenever the fight goes past the second round, he loses. And that's exactly what I think is going to happen here. Court, I know he's getting up there in age 36, 37 years old. Personally, I think he's looked in the best shape of his career, physically speaking, over the last couple of fights. I know he's been on a bit of a rough run, but uh, Ramiz is a completely different matchup than what he's had to go up against uh, in those other uh, fights here. The fact that he went for zero takedowns against Carlos Condit is still very mystifying to me because that is an obvious path to victory for him there that he didn't decide to take. But here against Ramiz, if his durability holds up, I think he's going to be able to outgrind Ramiz here, push him up against the cage, maybe even land a couple of takedowns of his own, just as he did to Claudio Silva last time around and just grind him out uh i do think that the round three is a little bit live here as well i took a shot around plus 1800 on uh court mcgee in round three uh but i think he'll likely ground his way to a decision in this spot i personally have a play on him one unit at plus 100 or sorry a unit and a half at plus 100 as soon as i saw that plus money i had to pull the trigger how do you feel about this matchup yeah, man, I, you said plus money. I'm like, man, are you guys really about to make me play uh, old man Court McGee here? Because uh, me and Jonah did our show last night, and I think McGee was still minus 115 
favorite. Mm-hmm. So it seems like uh, people like them some uh, some of their Fortis guy Brahimaj here. But I, I'm with you, man. I like the vet side here. Um, no action for me, but like you said, I I didn't know it moved to plus money. I, I also don't mind chasing that decision prop on McGee. I think it was like plus one ninety or something, yeah. plus two hundred somewhere in that range. Um, I, I think that's more than likely the way that he wins. But you mentioned it with the Brahimaj side, like. Uh, I get it. Like he ran right through uh, Politnikov, but I mean, let's be honest. He's one of the worst grapplers in the division. Yeah. Now he's facing somebody who's never been submitted across however many UFC fights. He's been around for a long, long time, faced better grapplers than Brahimash. It's really just that it, it's always that concern when guys get older, their career trajectory starts to go down. You start to have durability concerns. You know, are they the same fighter they once were? And so those things are always in the back of your mind, but this really seems like a classic vet vet lesson spot for Court McGee here. I think he does have the tools um, to beat Brahimaj. I think Brahimaj just really has to have success with the wrestling and grappling, and I'm just not convinced that he's going to be able to do that. So it's always possible that you know he he looks better than we than we've seen so far. Uh, Fortis was on a really good roll before the break, so maybe they come in start start the new year off hot as well. But uh, I'm with you. I'm I'm leaning towards the vet side, and if that plus money sticks around, I might have to get involved. Yeah, I I believe I took it yesterday or early uh, yesterday, and then I looked back at Pinnacle. Pinnacle is where I got that line, and then he was sitting at plus one hundred five. I'm like shit. I should have sat around a little bit longer and got a slightly better line. But even at plus 100, even at that slight uh, favorite money, man, even at minus 115, I didn't mind a shot here on Court McGee as, uh, again, his durability should hold up and uh, he should be able to get it done here against the young upstart, Ramiz Brahimai. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. Uh, we got Jamie Pickett versus Joseph Holmes. Uh, in terms of odds, we're looking at minus 155 now for Joseph Holmes, plus 135 to return on Jamie Pickett. I know you got a pretty hot take here on Jamie Pickett, so I'm going to let you... <laughs> start this breakdown off brother uh lay it on me ben so that's the thing i don't even think it's a hot take like i i really don't to be honest with you and you know as well as i do like the last time i was on your show we cashed that nikolai negamirano <laughs> and everybody you know said i was a clown for that or whatever on twitter yeah. you know all the talking heads and that was like plus 200 or whatever so much yeah. bigger price but it, it, i bring that up because a, it's just a humble brag because I said it on your show, but B, I also bring it up because these are my favorite spots is where people just immediately write somebody off yeah. because what, what does everyone think about Jamie Pickett? They think, oh, Jamie Pickett sucks. Why would I want to bet Jamie Pickett? And it was the same thing with that uh, Nikolai spot. But the thing is, is like you have to factor in the matchup. And the thing is, is that Holmes probably sucks too at least at this stage in his career i think he's super green super underdeveloped i don't think he's ready for the ufc i taped him quite a bit for contender series i do a lot of work on contender series on my youtube i feel like i have a pretty strong read not just on him but on Pickett as well i cashed him in the star poli fight in his last time out a lot of people wrote him off in that spot as well uh yeah plus 198 is is what i got but yeah it was really close and then other people got like plus 220 which is excellent but um, but yeah, I mean, I just think Jamie Pickett is, he's well-rounded enough. Like, I, I don't think he's a world beater or anything, but you always have to factor in the matchup. Why is this contender series guy who did not look good, who hasn't faced really anybody across his whole career. He's fought in guys with losing records. Oh, and one guy, he fought a, a dude, uh, Dwayne Diggs. I think his name yeah. was three and two in that fight. You see the grappling, like 
Holmes has five submission victories. That's how he wins most of his fights. But if you actually watch his grappling, he is not a good submission grappler, like very sloppy. The technique is not there. He's falling out of mount. He's slipping off of guys' backs. Like he's losing position left and right. And you saw it multiple times in that dig spike fight specifically and Diggs is a nobody he's a three and two guy in LFA at the time of this fight like that's super concerning to me I didn't think he looked good on contender series and that was supposed to be a showcase spot for him against Shantae Barnes who again had no sense of grappling so he did end up getting the finish but even after all that Dana's like yeah I don't think you're ready but we're gonna give you a fight on on Dana White's looking for a fight so they give him Jonathan Potty, who's been knocked out by like three or four other contender series Pickett. guys. <laughs> Jamie Pickett himself, right? So it's just like, I, I'm not impressed with this dude. I don't think that that the jump from the contender series fight, the Potty fight, like I just, I don't think the line is warranted here. I think Pickett's a better striker. I think he has more power. I think he's for sure a better wrestler and I expect him to wrestle here. Um, and I actually think he's a better grappler. And I, I think that's where maybe it's it would be considered a hot take because I think a lot of people, um, you know, they just see the submission victories of Holmes. He's big, he's long, he's got five submission victories. You know, maybe he's going to out-grapple Jamie Pickett, but Pickett's a three-stripe brown belt, um, or maybe maybe he might have just got his black belt recently. I'm not positive on that, but he he's not a terrible grappler himself. And this is another spot where, you know, everybody's like, oh, well, Holmes is super long and rangy. Well, Pickett's just as long and rangy. They have the yeah. same reach advantage. Like Pickett is is a long athletic dude himself. I think he's more skilled everywhere, more experienced. So it's a long way of saying I just I really don't think he should be the underdog in this spot. Um, Holmes is going to have to prove it to me, and I don't think he does on Saturday. I think one thing that a lot of betters need to kind of realize, and you you just kind of alluded to it too, is the the narratives that are out there about certain fighters, and they just believe it. They don't even bother running the tape. They don't bother doing anything, right? Another guy that kind of comes to mind is Malcolm Gordon, who goes out there and gets out a uh, win over Francisco Figueredo several months back as a giant underdog because everybody just kept writing him off. But Francisco Figueredo is nothing special either, right? Mm -hmm. So they just automatically fall into this narrative that this guy's shit. I'm always going to bet against him, or I'm not even going to touch his fights personally i don't think either guy is that good to be honest and i've run the tape i've done all that the one thing that i always come back to and I always conclude with i just feel as though this fight's going to be ugly like ugly man joe you know what i mean it's going to get grindy it's going to get one of those fights where they just push each other up against the cage try to battle for a position up against that clinch even loriana soropoli a much smaller opponent than jamie pickett was able to do that successfully for minutes at, uh, at a time and i feel like joseph holmes will look to do the same thing here maybe look to get the takedown more so but i don't think that his jujitsu or ground game is refined enough to the point where he's going to catch jamie pickett in anything i've seen a couple people even in other streams i did during the week charles bird submitted him you know this guy's gonna be able to submit them too they're, they're completely different fighters they have completely different skill sets on the ground and i don't think that joseph holmes although he has a couple rear naked chokes on his victory you touched on it perfectly here that level of competition is very low but here with jamie pickett i just get this bad feeling that he just allows the opponent to almost dictate the pace at times, right? Like I said, Staropoli had success with it. There's even uh, other fighters where they just push him up against the cage, and it seems like he's okay with it. But when he goes out there with a sense of urgency, like the Jonathan Patti fight, even the Jordan Wright fight, even though he got knocked out in it, he was trying to push the pace and do something. That's where I feel like he's he's successful. And if he does that here, he could absolutely be successful against Joseph Holmes. But I just feel like 
it's going to be a lot of jockeying up against the cage. And for some reason, I feel like Joseph Holmes is going to be the stronger guy in those positions and will be, be able to win, win minutes, even land a couple of takedowns in this spot. Um, if I were to play anything on this fight, it would only be the over one and a half, but it's juiced to shit now at like minus 200, minus 220 for the over one and a half. Uh, but I do think we see this guy, if I go 15 minutes, I don't think it's going to be that pretty. And whoever gets the hand raise, I don't, you know, I lean the, the Joseph Holmes side. Got to believe the values on the dog here. But in terms of a straight up pick and after running all the research, I feel like Holmes is just going to be stronger in those positions and will be able to kind of dictate where this fight goes. So good luck on your bet because obviously I have no money on Joseph Holmes. I'm not even going to bother, but I do hope you end up cashing on that. But as a certain, as a specific prediction here from your boy, I'm going to be going with uh, ugly man Joe Holmes by decision. All right. A fight that should be way more fun though. Kicking off the main card. We got Joe Anderson Brito going up against uh, Bill Algio. <clears throat> Excuse me. In terms of odds, we got minus 145 for Joe Anderson Brito and uh, plus 125 to return on Bill Algio all week. It seemed like this fight was going to get canceled. There was some sort of inconclusive COVID test on the Joe Anderson Brito side. Uh, it seems like they got it figured out. Luckily, we're still getting this fight. And I get uh, Spike Carlisle. Um, Bill Algio vibes here, right? Where Spike Carlisle, you know, firecracker of a human being, similar to Joe Anderson Brito, always moving forward, always throwing big shots, always trying to just knock your head into that fifth row, essentially. Also likes to go for the takedowns and try to dominate on the ground as well. However, I think that's going to be issues here if he tries to do that against Bill Algio, who's very good at getting back to his feet, right? He's like a cat, springs right back onto his all fours, doesn't mind giving up his back because he trusts his jiu-jitsu defense enough that he'll, you know, defend any type of rear naked choke and then get back to his feet and then get back to work with his hands. Uh, good, lengthy, uh, or rangy striker, decent kicks as well, covers distance as well. But I feel like he's going to be on his back foot for the majority of this fight with Joe Anderson Brito just throwing absolute heat at him and that's where the different lies between him and spike carlisle spike visibly slows down and visibly starts taking back steps and it just doesn't optically look good to the judges which is why i believe he lost that fight against algio whereas here brito watch all of his tape man i don't think that guy's ever taken a back step in his life and i expect the same thing here against algio i don't think he's going to respect algio's striking or power that much i think he's going to continue to move forward i think best bet for him 15-minute kickboxing fight where he's the one pushing the pressure the entire time and throwing the big heat. I've heard people saying his best path to victory would be the takedown here. I just feel as though Algio is crafty enough on the ground to create scrambles that he might be one step ahead of Joe Anderson on the ground or even just get back to his feet and then even uh, even gas out Brito a lot quicker than it would have been if he just went out there and just kickboxed with this guy. So I like Brito here just because I think optically speaking, he's going to be the more favored fighter here moving forward and throwing big shots. Um, but I want to see a little bit more from him against legitimate competition inside the UFC before I start labeling what this guy actually is. Seems like he could be a good fighter. Seems like this is a good matchup for him. Uh, but I'm interested to see what his approach is. Official prediction for me is going to be uh, uh, Brito by decision. But we'll see how it goes. How do you see this one going down? Yeah, it's it's funny. I have this issue where I almost always side with the guy who I expect to land takedowns. And I don't know if that's like a leak in my game or what, but I, I feel the same way, man. I, I just it's hard for me to to back Bill Algio in this spot when I expect him to at least spend some of the rounds on his back. And you mentioned the getup game. He does have a solid getup game, but I think in close competitive rounds, like those takedowns are going to be enough to swing rounds. And I do expect Brito to land takedowns. And Brito's a guy who I was pretty impressed with coming into the contender series fight. Um, looked great on contender series. I thought against a solid opponent in Diego Lopez um, did have the, the technical 
uh, decision. I know there's been a lot of chatter in the Twitter streets about uh, about his uh, cheating ways, but we we don't have to go there. But but uh, I I do like him in this matchup. I think it'd be a close fight. Uh, Bill Algio is a guy who's always a willing scrapper. He kind of has that Brandon Roy Val style where they're just so worried about spamming offense that they just hands low disregard their defense. Um, but historically he's been super durable. So um, I don't know if Brito will be able to get him out of there, but I do expect him to land those powerful takedowns. I do expect him to at least control him for somewhat on the mat. And uh, he's a solid grappler himself. So I think he could be okay in the scrambles. So it's a close fight. I don't have a super strong take, but I do lean on the debutant in uh, Joe Anderson Brito. I love it. I love it. I think he could be something good. Let's just see how he does against a, a guy in Bill Algeo who's going to be a little wonky at times. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got uh, the battle of the, the best nicknames in the UFC, in my opinion. Uh, we got Dakota Harry Bush going up against Vyacheslav Slavoklaus Borshev in terms of odds. We're looking at minus 180 for Borshev, plus 155 the return on Dakota Bush. I'll let you kick this one off, man. Who do you like, Slava or uh, Harry Bush? Yeah, I like uh, I like no Bush over here. I like uh, I like Slava. <laughs> I like Slava. I th- I think Slava. You know, I I definitely have concerns about him moving forward. Like I talked about it with Jonah last night. Like this is a guy who is for sure on my radar to fade in the future. Not because I don't think he's talented and that I don't think he can make improvements, but because of where he's at now. I I think there are major concerns with his defensive wrestling. There's concerns with his cardio, his grappling. Uh, submission grappling defense like there's a lot of holes I know he's training over at team alpha male so hopefully they're shoring some of those those holes up but uh in terms of this matchup I think he should be fine I'm not a big uh fan of Dakota Bush I don't think he has much of a skill set that could threaten Slava here yeah he does have a little bit of wrestling and grappling but we've seen it at times like he doesn't even that's not like his plan a in a lot of his fights like even in the Austin Hubbard fight and I know he was on short notice but it was like I, I don't even think he shot a takedown the whole first round or, or maybe until the end of the round. It wasn't until he already gassed out from throwing a bunch of strikes. Then he started to uh, try to wrestle and they were super telegraphed and weak because he was gassed out. So it's like, I, I just don't trust him to come in here with the right game plan. And even if he does, I just don't think he's the guy to take advantage of those holes in Slava's game. So I think this plays out on the feet at least long enough for Slava to use that high-level striking. I think he probably hurts him, and I think he probably wins by knockout, and maybe we can look to fade him in a better spot in the future. You pretty much taken the words right out of my mouth, man. As soon as I saw the odds drop for this fight, I thought it would be a prime uh, opportunity to fade Slava because from what I know, Dakota Bush is a grappler, right? But once you run the tape, it's not the most impressive, right? He has trouble in terms of keeping guys down. I feel like Vacheslav does a really good job in terms of nullifying the amount of success his opponents have on top of him. He's always working to get back to his feet. There's a couple fights where he does end up on his back for a little bit more long of a time or a prolonged period. But more often than not, when you see him, if he gets taken down, works right back to his he starts pushing down on the head, starts working his way back to the cage, gets back to his feet, gets back into space, and lets his combinations in his hands go, man. He's a very good striker. Uh, obviously shows why he's a striking coach over there at Team Alpha Male. But, man, the guy just – he throws with steady pace and steady pressure, and that's something that I really like. It's just with the same power you get in round one, the same power you're going to get in round three. And I don't even think we see a round three in this spot because I think Dakota Bush is going to go for a couple takedowns. I think he's going to fail in terms of landing the takedowns or even getting that top control. And as Vyacheslav continues to get back up, he's going to let those hands go. Those combinations are going to start to land. And I think eventually one of them is going to put Dakota's lights out as well. So uh, I like Vyacheslav. I like the under 
two and a half here too. Um, I think both guys have finishing opportunities here, but more so on the Borshev side. Under two and a half, currently sitting around minus one forty-five. I like that spot, but I think the the prop that's more most likely to hit is going to be Borshev by knockout, which currently sits at plus one ten. Count me in for that one as well. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Catlin Chukagian going up against Jennifer Maya. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 190 for Chukagian, plus 160 the return on Catlin Chukagian. Now, Chukagian, when this line opened up, it was closer to the minus 150s uh, line, and then there's been steady money coming in on her, and I think rightfully so. I'm sure most of you guys saw my tweet earlier today saying, all aboard the Catlin Express. We're just about to leave the station chook chook baby because she's about to go out there and just uh pretty much replicate what she did in the same uh their last fight ufc 244 back in november of 2019 uh she used her stick and move as uh effectively as possible in that fight she got taken down at the ending of that third run but did a really good job in terms of nullifying the success that maya had from on top uh i believe just as time expired she was going for a leg lock there to either reverse position or get back to her feet i think that's exactly what's going to happen this time around I'm seeing a lot of takes out there saying if Maya fights smarter, if Maya wrestles, if that, if this. That's not how she fights. And even if she does, if she wants to go out there and try to grapple, you know, if she wants to go uh, wrestle, uh, I believe somebody told me, I think it was Uncle Weezy, shout out to Uncle Weezy, saying she's only attempted four takedowns in her entire UFC career to begin with. And again, even if she does, she's just going to gas herself out more and more. If you go out there and fight in a game plan or a style that you're not used to, it's going to cause you more stress. It's going to cause you more pressure. And that's going to start to uh, force you to start slowing down. And that's exactly where I think is going to happen here. If it's Maya trying to grapple, I think she, uh, Catelyn will be ready for that, ready to nullify, get back to her feet, and get back to that stick and move game. Uh, and then from there, she should just do what Catelyn does, right? Give us her kias and all that stuff and uh, rack up the output number and the volume and all that. And I think that's exactly what we're going to see here. So uh, I like Catelyn. She is my lock of the night play. I'll just let you guys know before we get to the end of the show here. Uh, I got four units on her at minus 175. Uh, obviously, minus 150-ish would have been better, but I still like that minus 175. And then the no-brainer pick would have been just taking her by decision at minus 120. Um, but I like the money line already at minus 175, so I was happy to take that shot there i got catlin lover in this spot how do you feel about this one yeah i heard a rumor you know you're the guy with the the ufc connections i heard a rumor you were hitting up everybody at the ufc you're like we have to have this caitlin chikagian jennifer Maya <laughs> rematch the people Shh. the people need to see this rematch it's been two years too long they should My have booked it immediately it. right <laughs> <laughs> they should have booked it immediately right away <laughs> no, I'm uh, I'm I'm just playing, but I'm I'm with you though. I like the Chukagian side. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's like every time somebody fights the same person again, like you never want to be like, oh well, they fought once, it's just gonna play out exactly the same way. But these these a they it was only two years, so it's like yeah. they haven't made that many changes, and so I kind of think it does play out almost the same way, only because. I do expect Caitlin Chikagian to play that same style. We've seen it in all of her USC fights. I think she's fought in the Octagon 13 times. She's fought the same way every single time. You know, she uses that length. She uses her reach. She's a high fight IQ fighter. She fights from the outside and she's a pretty good striker. So she's going to do her, her song and dance for the judges with the yeah, 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 even when she's not landing, whatever, like that's smart. And she's going to do things at the end of rounds that cement rounds. Like, she's a smart fighter. And I just think she's she has advantages against Jennifer Maya, who's a solid boxer, a little bit of a Muay Thai background. But I think Caitlin Chikagir prob probably 
uh, boxes are up from the outside for the most part, and uh, and and does enough to get the decision. I haven't I haven't joined you yet, but I was eyeing up. I I would actually uh, shout out to Lags. I know you know Danny Lags as well. Um, I hit him up in the Discord. Um, I'm, I was like, man, this Chukagian decision line is really tempting me. And apparently he already played at like plus 100 or something or oh, plus wow. 105. I'm like, man, I wish I saw that. Cause that's a great number. Um, but even at minus 120 or minus 125 now I'm, I'm getting close. I think I might have to play that. So I might be joining you. I saw your tweet and that inspired a little, a little more confidence in the Chukagian side. So hopefully she gets it done station's about to leave or sorry the train's about to leave the station my man you gotta gotta hop on before we uh before we leave <laughs> we'll see we'll see love it all right let's move on to the next fight here a fight that will likely pick up the uh the energy in the apex because we got some uh a great flyweight bout ahead of us here we got uh Hajiria Bonterin, uh who's coming in at plus 150 going up against raw dog brandon Royval, uh who's sitting at minus 170 i'm a huge raw dog fan man i i love his style uh, the guy just throws technique out the window and just goes out there and tries to break his opponents, right? That's the best way of describing his uh, fighting style. He doesn't really care to be the 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 slickest with his boxing or the nicest with his jujitsu. He just wants to try to finish you, right? Um, he tried doing it against Alexandre Pantoja. Obviously, it didn't work out there. Uh, but the the bet that I was on for that fight specifically was the under two and a half. Uh, and I feel like that could potentially be live here. I haven't played it myself. I'm not a big fan of the line currently where it's at. Uh, which is, uh, I believe it's minus 180, if I, minus 170-ish now. Again, Roy Val is one of those guys that he puts himself into compromising positions to potentially find the finish or get finished himself. And that, I think that could absolutely happen here against Bontrine as well, who's a pretty slick jujitsu artist himself, right? If Radog gets gets caught slipping on the ground here, you could potentially see his neck get clamped up and, and taken home with him. I feel much more comfortable taking the under rather than Roy Val in this spot, just because of how chaotic his style is, just like I laid out. Uh, but Bontrine, man, like... I feel like he's always been overlooked in a lot of his fights. Like they kind of just see him as an afterthought uh, and, and think that he's just going to end up losing all these fights, right? There's so many spots. I feel as though he's been the underdog that he's pulled off the upside and this could potentially be another one. However, I think that Roy Val will stay safe enough in this fight uh, to eventually in that third round, find a submission and break Bontrine. I think it's going to be a little bit too much for Bontrine to keep up with him. Uh, maybe second or third round, I think we'd see Roy Val get him out of there. So I'll likely be taking a sprinkle on that third round prop. You guys know I love that stuff. That's my bread and butter right there, and I feel like this is a very loud spot to do so. But if I'm making an official bet for it, it'll likely be the under 2.5 around minus 170. I don't mind that. How are you seeing this fight go down? Yeah, you said you're not a fan of Harry Bush, but you're a fan of Raw Dog. So I, I just want to tell you, you got to be careful, man. YouTube might slap you with a warning, so you got to be careful. Um, I'm looking out for you. I'm looking out. But, uh, Appreciate it. But yeah, no, I, I I like the Roy Val side as well. And I, you mentioned the under. Uh, Jonah, shout out to Jonah. He's on the under in the Roy Val fight. I mean, Brandon Roy Val is an under machine, you know, not just in the UFC, like even prior to the UFC, but I, I'm pretty sure all of his UFC fights, did he have one that, that didn't cast under one and a half, maybe? Um, uh, that that I think he had one that like was just over one and a half or something. I don't know. I could be wrong, but either way, I mean, the guy, the pace that he pushes, he's always going to lean towards an under because he has finishing upside, mainly with his submission grappling, very slick grappler. But he also has pretty big concerns, in my opinion, in terms of um, I do think he's a little bit gassy. 
And I know he starts out super fast and it seems like he could just keep that motor forever, but we have seen him kind of slow down in a couple fights. I think, I think his cardio was actually a factor in that Pantoja fight. Aside from the fact that Pantoja was just a level better in the grappling was just beating him to the positions at, all, all along the way. So um, I, there are concerns with Roy Val. I just, I don't know if Bontran's the guy to take advantage of those. Like, I think, I think I want to target uh, guys against Roy Val that, Aside from Pantoja, which was a great spot for anybody that bet Pantoja there, um, but I but I I like guys that have power and that aren't you know bad grappling. Like I I don't know if Bontran fits that mold. I don't know if he doesn't, but I just I feel like Bontran's a guy that I never really had a good read on. Like I wasn't I, I was not impressed with him early on in his career. I think I I faded him against Kaikara fans, um, and then I think I lost against uh, uh, Julian Paiva. Um, early on uh, in his that, fight. That was a bad but, stoppage though, right? That, yeah, not the, a bad the stoppage. Cut stoppage. Cut. I mean, come stoppage. on, man. Yeah. So brutal. But uh, yeah. but yeah, e- either way, Bontran's just not a guy that I feel like I've ever had a strong read on. So I don't want to be like overly confident in Brandon Royval, but I do think he's just like, like Bontran's been a guy who we know slows down and gasses out himself. And he's had trouble with the weights. I know he, he was on weight uh, this morning, but still, you know, he's missed weight before, um, I don't didn't know. Look that great either, man. Didn't look yeah, that great. Yeah, he he either. didn't. Yeah, I I think you or maybe it was Clint that uh posted a picture. Clint, uh, somebody yeah. posted a picture. Yeah, where it looked like like his face was all sucked out or whatever. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I just I I feel like this is a spot where I just don't really have a great read on Bonterin. So I feel like I don't have a great read on the matchup. But I do lean the Roy Val side. Probably lean towards the under. But I'm probably just gonna sit back and and enjoy it. And hopefully it's a good fight. Yeah, the only fight that didn't hit the under one and a half in the UFC for Roy Val was the Tim Elliott fight, which went 48 seconds over uh, the, over there. Uh, even for the Bontran side, something that I kind of alluded to, uh, all three wins for Hajuria Bontran, he's kind of been the underdog, right? Plus 140 against Match Now Cash is there. Uh, plus, actually, he was uh, even money. Uh, even money favorite here against Holly and Paiva. So still pretty damn good odds from there. And then the Magomed Bibulatov fight plus 255 underdog in that fight and cash is there as well. So uh good underdog spot, man. Uh in the Kai Kara France fight, he's a plus one ten dog, doesn't win there. Plus one twenty-five dog to Ray Borg as well, doesn't win there. But again, notoriously the underdog in almost every single one of his fights. Yeah. So we'll see how it plays out for him tomorrow night as well. All right. Let's move on to the co-main event here. Uh, and we got the big boys coming up. We got Chase Sherman going up against Jake Collier. In terms of odds, we got minus 135 for Collier, plus 115 the return on Chase Sherman. I'll hand it on over to you, brother. How do you feel about this matchup? Yeah, this is one I'm I'm definitely not excited about. Um, I just I, I feel like this is a fight where it's like if if this was one of the ones that ended up getting moved due to COVID or somebody pulled don't out, I'd be like, dare. nice. Don't you dare, <laughs> oh, do, do you have money on this? I, sh- I, I, should, I don't. I'm just I shouldn't... a big Jake Collier fan. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. All right. I, I respect it. I respect it. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is a spot where you mentioned two big guys. I think they're going to stand and trade. Uh, Chase Sherman's never landed a takedown in the UFC. Jake <laughs> Collier's landed like three, I think. And that was like back when he was a middleweight. So it's pretty clear that these guys are going to stand and trade. Both of them actually have pretty high output for heavyweight. Uh, more so Collier over 15 minutes, but Sherman really only in round one before his cardio starts to get the better of him. So I actually think Jake Collier um, should be the favorite here. Uh, I think minus 130s in that range is is about right, just based on the fact that he has better cardio. 
better durability. I trust him to do more over 15 minutes. So I do think your boy gets the, gets the job done here. So uh, rooting for your boy, but uh, this is an easy pass for me, man. Yeah, uh, Chase Sherman actually had a similar matchup last time around against Parker Porter. Another fight that I was there for. That was the same night as the uh, the Brian Kelleher fight. And I, again, watch that shit back. I was probably the loudest in the crowd from a guy Parker <laughs> Porter getting that getting his job done there. But uh, again, it's volume and output that really is the downfall of Chase Sherman, right? That's why he lost the the Andre Arlovsky fight. That's why he lost the Parker Porter fight. And that's why I think he's going to lose this Jake Collier fight as well. Putting personal bias aside, man, I think that as long as Collier can stay conscious in this fight which I think is a high likelihood, uh, especially considering that Chase Sherman is no Tom Aspinall and everybody was writing off my boy Jake Collier after that knockout. But if he can stay conscious, he's going to have the output. Uh, and I think that will be enough for him to get his hand raised here. I will say, though, his last fight against Carlos Philippe, uh, he outstruck Philippe by about 13 or 14 strikes in that final round. But two judges still ended up giving up, giving it to Carlos Philippe. I mainly think it was due to his body language in that round. Even though he was throwing more output, it just seemed like he was the visibly more tired guy. Hopefully, that's something that he can shore up here against Chase Sherman. Because if Chase senses that he's starting to slow down or anything like that, I feel like he might try to find that second gear or that second one to try to like uh, get that knockout. Uh and also, even if he doesn't get the knockout, it's going to look good to the judges that he's kind of pushing forward and getting that uh, that offense off. So uh, I still think that Collier is the favorite, like you said, plus 140 on him to win by decision. I think that's the best way to approach it because pretty much every single fight we've seen from him since he's come back, he doesn't throw with any ill will. It's just throwing it to score, in my opinion. And that's what I think we're, that we're getting from uh, him here, especially with no takedown attempts either. Uh, I think this is going to be a 15-minute kickboxing match as long as uh, Chase Sherman doesn't knock him out. And then I think we'll see Dave Collier get his hand raised once again uh, via decision in this spot. All right. We are just about at the main event here. Before we do get there, I do want to remind you guys to make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe. Shout out to the 120 live viewers that we currently have right now. I know some of you guys are tuned into the LFA as well. I see you guys talking about that in the chat as well. Uh, might have to go back and watch that based on what you guys are saying. Uh, but also make sure you guys show my guy John Kelly some love as well. His Twitter handle is exactly as you see it under his face there. John Kelly DFS on Twitter. And I'm sure you guys can also catch his work over there on FTN Daily, uh, not to mention his undisputed show that he does with Jonah Schiffman. Uh, I believe that's Fridays or Thursdays you guys do that? Thursdays, yep. It's, Thursdays, uh, it's up now uh, on my YouTube and on iTunes. There you guys go. And not to mention, like he kind of talked about a little bit earlier, the guy does great breakdowns for Dana White Contender Series as well. So I'm sure he's chomping at the bit for the next season to get oh, underway. Maybe. And you guys can obviously look to him for the best Contender Series breakdowns. All right, let's move on to the main event here, brother. We got Calvin Cater going up against Giga Chikadze. In terms of odds, we currently have minus 240 on Chikadze and plus 195 the return on Calvin Cater. Now, Calvin Cater, obviously, last time around, we saw him go out there and uh, take a hellacious beating from Max Holloway just about a year ago uh, in a, a godlike performance from Max Holloway, right? Like, he turned on god mode for some reason and just had a once-in-a-lifetime type performance in terms of the amount of strikes that he landed. Uh, you could have probably stopped that fight at any point in the fourth or fifth round, and I don't think anybody would have been upset. Uh, and now he's trying to get back into the UFC, and he's taken on a, a very streaking and, and hot prospect here in Giga Chikadze, who's been dispatching of guys left and right. Like, it's hilarious to see earlier in his UFC careers, he's having these very close fights against mediocre competition, and now he's taking steps up and fighting some veterans 
takes care of uh, Cub Swanson in like a minute, takes care of Edson Barboza in the third round, uh, really starting to splash onto the scene here. But if he's able to get a win over Calvin Cater, he might even cement himself as a possible title contender by mid-2022 or even end of 2022 if he needs one more fight. Uh, great kicker, which I believe is something that Calvin Cater has really struggled with in the past. Anato Moicano, uh, the first round of Jeremy Stevens, if you guys go back and watch that, I think Jeremy Stevens slightly edged that round just off of kicks alone. And then obviously there's a beat Magomed Sharapov fight where he just could not get anything going because he just can't get into boxing range, whereas he's where he is most lethal. And that's where I think he needs to be to find success here against Shikadze. Uh, I think Shikadze will likely win the first two rounds you know, just by kicking and just staying active and staying on his bicycle. But we've seen him start to slow down, even in the Edson Barboza fight, right? You see his uh, the demeanor in the, uh, near the ending of the second round start to slow down a bit. Luckily for him, he hurts Edson nice and early in that third round and then follows up and finishes him there. But I feel as if Cater gets into round three in this fight, he will more than likely start to take over. And I think he could possibly finish him in the fourth or fifth round in this fight. Um, so I already have... Uh, a pre-fight bet on on Chikadze. I actually had him parlayed with uh, Gabriel Benitez before Benitez had to pull out, and now I'm stuck with uh, just uh, Giga Chikadze here. But I will more than likely be live betting Calvin Cater if this fight hits the round, uh, the third round, because he'll more than likely still be an underdog. You'll still get a good price on him, but the chances of winning skyrocket for him, as he'll likely be the fresher fighter in rounds three, four, and five. Uh, I like Giga early there, uh, early though. Um, Last week when I did my breakdown, I said to him by decision, the more I start to look into it, uh, I'm starting to backpedal on that. I'm going to take him by uh, inside the distance, probably first or second round. Just feed the kicks to him as much as possible and try to get him out of there. Uh, but I will definitely live bet Calvin Cater if this fight reaches round three. But as an official pick, official prediction, I'm going to get you guys a second round TKO. John, what's your main event prediction here, brother? Yeah, man, I've, I've been really close to pulling the trigger on Calvin Cater for like two weeks now, and I, I haven't done it. Like, I don't know if I just need to sack up and just take the plunge or what, but I, I just feel like I try. I bet Cater against Max Holloway. Terrible bet. Fully Me admit that. Me too. Me too. Don't but I also, like, uh, there people. some people are like, well, if you bet him against Max Holloway, you have to bet him against Giga. Well, not really if you think that the Max Holloway bet was a bad bet. And, you know, like we talked about before, like styles make fights. Every matchup is different. And I don't think this is a great matchup for Giga or for Calvin Cater. Can, yeah, I, can I just ask you a quick question? Uh, in regards to the reason you bet uh, Cater against Holloway, do you recall what your reasoning was for that? I mean, honestly, I, I think I just overvalued Calvin Cater. I am a Calvin Cater fanboy a little bit. You know, the Boston, uh, yeah. what he, it used to be the Boston Bomber. I think he changed his nickname, though. Um, I believe to, so. Yeah, to Boston Killer or something like that. But uh, Boston Strangler, but, I think. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I don't know. I honestly, like, I don't know. Looking back, I'm like, that was maybe one of the worst bets I ever made. And <laughs> for I, me I'm, personally, for for me personally, I thought he was the better technical striker, right? I thought he was the better, like, you know, using that boxing, it would have been much better for Max Hollow, who's historically been very hittable. Right, that's kind of the the narrative that I was going to win with. I've heard other people that they're saying that Max Holloway was starting to fall off. He was starting to be on a decline. He was regressing. But my reason was I thought Cater was the better striker, which I still believe he's the better technical striker. Max Holloway is just a better MMA fighter and MMA striker, which is what it ended up coming down to, in my opinion. But yeah, sorry, carry on, brother. 
No, it's a good question. I think my thought process was something similar. And I don't remember at the time because it was like over a year ago now. And we analyzed like thousands of fights throughout the year. But um, I believe I used the term that Calvin Cater is the best boxer in the division. And that was clearly wrong. And Max Holloway let us know literally as he's boxing Cater's face off. He's like, I'm the best boxer in the UFC to the judges. And they're just like, oh, my God. Like It was just a crazy moment. Like that was honestly like even losing money on cater like that was one of the coolest fights that i've watched live like not not being in the arena live but watching it live on tv like it literally gave me chills like that was an amazing performance but i think the other part was i thought you know after the volkanovsky fight i thought maybe holloway was kind of starting to slow down and not be the same prime holloway he completely you know threw out all of those concerns for me um and made me eat some humble pie but uh but now going into this matchup it's like I don't want to overrate Cater again, but I've also kind of been underrating Giga almost this whole career. So it's a kind of a tough spot for me. I tried to fade Giga against Edson Barbosa. That was like a prove it spot for me. Big step up in competition. You know, clearly the best fighter he's ever fought. I thought Barbosa had, you know, similar strengths with the leg kicks. I thought he was a better boxer, better cardio. The durability was eh, which ended up being the problem there. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, in this fight, you know, to answer your question, I do think Cater does have some advantages. I agree with you that Giga is a pretty decent favorite early in the fight. He probably wins rounds one and round two. I'm worried that Cater can kind of, you know, fall into that trap against Giga like a lot of fighters do, where they just get stuck at range and they they fight to his strengths. And I think that's a big mistake. I think Cater wins. He needs to push a pace here. He needs to fight his game. He needs to move forward, get into boxing range. And I think at the very least, we're going to see Cater test the chin of Giga Chikadze because he's pretty much landed clean and landed hard on almost everyone that he's ever fought. So I think we're, we're at least going to get some of those questions answered against Giga. But then, like you said, if it does go to the later rounds, we know uh, we know Calvin Cater has better durability and better cardio. So it's an interesting matchup. I'm kind of back and forth, but I lean towards the underdog. Um, so we'll go with Calvin Cater, but no action for me yet. Look at the ever professional John Kelly trying to finish his breakdown as his camera is starting to break down. <laughs> yeah. It's all good. It's all good. But yeah, I, I absolutely agree with your analysis there. In terms of line value, got to believe the values on Calvin Cater at this spot. Uh, but I'm glad to see some money coming back in on him to make it more uh, of a of a proper line, in my opinion. All right. That's a pretty much a wrap on all the breakdowns that we have on the card. We're going to wrap it up here with our lock of the night play or our most confident bet of the play. I know sometimes my guests don't like saying the word lock at all. So I'll just try to say confident play of the card. Uh, I'll kick things off as always. Um, I already let you guys know I, my my most confident play on the card. I got four units on Catlin Shukagin here at minus 175. Again, if you guys don't like that line, you're more than welcome to take the decision line, which is sitting around minus 120, minus 125, which is pretty much like betting her, right? Like that's pretty much what you're getting with Catelyn Jagig and she's going to go all three uh all three rounds here uh again I I think it looks exactly like what the fight that the, the fight that transpired at UFC 244 back in November of 2019 stick and move uh nullify the ground success that Jennifer Maya may look to try to capitalize on here but I don't think it's going to be as easy as people think it's going to be I think we see Catelyn just continue to heal her way to a victory in this spot I'm going Catelyn Jagig minus 175 what do you like the most this week my brother I think you guys already know, you know, it's going to be my guy, Jamie Pickett. You know, I'm I'm planting my flag on Pickett. I feel good about the spot. So uh, we ride with Jamie Pickett this week. I love it. I love it. All right. Uh, On the back end here, I'll let you plug anything else that I may have missed or anything that you'd like to plug once again. Please, uh, the platform is yours. 
Yeah, thank you. And thanks again for having me on. It's always fun to talk fights with you. Love your show. Love being able to talk fights with you. So I appreciate it. Um, if you guys want, you can follow me on Twitter at John Kelly DFS. We do a weekly show, me and Jonah, on my YouTube at John Kelly DFS as well. And on iTunes, the Undisputed MMA Show. And then I also have my own uh, UFC website, fightnumbers.com, where I do a lot, a little bit of uh, data and, and betting stuff for um, for DraftKings and just free tools for uh, for DFS players, stuff like that. There you guys go. Make sure you guys go check out that Undisputed show. I love Jonah. I love John as well. They're very sharp dudes, and they have some valuable insights, so make sure you guys go check them out. You'd be doing yourself a disservice if you do not. All right. I uh, appreciate everybody checking out the show on this Friday evening. Fight start at 5 p.m. Eastern tomorrow, so don't get caught napping. It's a little bit earlier than we're used to. Uh, and lastly, I'll be doing a fight day live chat once again, 1 p.m. Eastern tomorrow, taking all questions, comments, and concerns from the chat. So if you guys are looking to make any last-minute wagers, make sure you guys check Check out your boy at 1 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. I'll be with you guys for about 30 to 45 minutes, depending on what the crowd likes. All right, John, once again, appreciate you taking your time out on this Friday evening to join me. And uh, everybody else, shout out to you guys as well. Good luck on your bets. And I'll see you guys tomorrow. War, Catlin, Mofo, Chukagian. Let's go. And Jamie Pickett. And Jamie Pickett for my guy, John. <laughs>